in your Bibles this evening instead of uh, being in Proverbs. And the reason I want us to be in Isaiah 55 this evening is because of verse number 10. I'll let you get there and then we'll read it. Guess what's been on my mind lately? Rain. Has rain been on anyone else's mind here this evening? And it's uh, interesting. I was last winter, two winters ago, we had a snowstorm, and I remember preaching a message entitled The Treasures of the Snow. And I was looking back several months ago, we had some severe thunderstorms come through, and uh, I was meditating on the uh, record of storms in the Bible and preached a message entitled Thunderstorm Theology. So tonight I'm going to preach a message entitled The Blessings of Rain. The blessings of rain. Notice verse number 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven. We don't need any of that right now. Uh, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth unto or you break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name. For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray. Fathers, we consider tonight the illustration of rain uh, and the powerful effect of the Bible uh, in our lives. I ask you that we would be challenged to love this book all the more, to live in it all the more, to trust it all the more, and to allow you to use it to transform us. And uh, we thank you for rain. And I know that uh, probably many of us in this room, I know that I have not enjoyed getting wet uh, as I've had to be out and about. And yet, Lord, you're the one who is the author of the weather. And I'm reminded of uh, the statement of a pastor friend of mine from the Midwest that there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. And so, Lord, we ask that we would trust you and that when times of weather, even severe weather, come, that we would even allow those experiences to turn our eyes, our hearts, and our thoughts to you and your word. And I pray these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah is what some might call one of the white-collar prophets, along with Ezekiel. Isaiah, it's believed by many, was of the tribe of Judah and a cousin to the kings. If you read the historical narrative of his life, Isaiah had frequent and fairly open access to the court of the kings of Judah. Uh, it's believed that he was likely a cousin of Hezekiah in particular. And uh, his book, Isaiah's Prophecy, can really be divided up into two main sections. And I know I've shared this before, but let me just give a review, chapters 1 to 39 uh, can be summed up in one word, condemnation. And chapters 40 to 66 can be summed up in another single word, comfort. 
The first 39 chapters, the condemnation section, are God's message of judgment through Isaiah to the current generation that Isaiah ministered to. They were pointing to the north and talking about how bad the northern ten tribes were, and yet Isaiah said, you're on the same path, and unless you get right with God, where they're headed is where you'll be in a short amount of time. And boy, let us be careful about our finger pointing, amen? How easy it is for us to say, I'll never do that, and what a reminder this context gives to us. Basically, Isaiah, in his message of condemnation, is telling him, you better get right or you're going to end up in captivity just like the northern ten tribes are in captivity. The northern ten tribes went into captivity in 722 B.C., and much of the substance of Isaiah's life that is recorded in Scripture takes place around 700 B.C., so it was fresh in everybody's mind. But then there was another key a component to Isaiah's preaching, and that is what we call the doctrine of the remnant. And that is faithful, believing Jews, in Judah in particular, who were grieved by the idolatry and the wickedness that they saw gripping the southern kingdom and the kings of Judah in the south. And their question was, what about us? We're trying to do right. As history would expose and show later on, many of those people... In generations to come, believing people would be taken into captivity. And so the second half of Isaiah's book is the message of comfort to a future generation of Jews who would, who would be taken into captivity to keep the faith and trust God even in captivity because God is going to bring you back. God's plan for the nation of Israel is going to continue. And even though judgment's going to come and even though captivity's going to come, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. God has a great plan, an ongoing plan for his people as they stay faithful to him. And so chapter 55 is a part of that. Isaiah preaching God's message of comfort, God's message of promise for the future, and God's word. And so with that thought in mind, the reliability of God's word as the basis for the comfort of his people... That's the thought that we need to keep in mind as we look into Isaiah chapter 55 and the things that Isaiah says about the Word of God. Now, let me just mention this. We're not going to look in detail for sake of time tonight in the first seven, actually the first nine verses of the chapter. But uh, before we get into a little more detail in chapters and verse number 10 to 13, I want you to notice and keep in mind that though verses 10 to 13 really emphasize the sovereignty of God and the power of His Word, the unstoppable, unquestionable, reliable power of His Word, I want you to notice this, that the full effect of His Word is not without the cooperation of the hearer. Okay? God invites. You look at the first part of chapter number 55, and there's some of the best invitation terms in the whole Bible. Look at it, if you would. Verse number one. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Notice uh, in verse number two. Hearken diligently unto me. Verse number three. Incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live. Verse number six. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What an invitation. And before we look at the sovereign power that God has, has invested in his word, we need to understand that man's free will, his personal responsibility is very much in play. God gives an invitation, and I want you and I to understand tonight that the full effect of God's word in your life and ours as it relates to the blessings of God upon obedience and his mercy and grace, you cannot ultimately separate it from your response to the word of God. Okay. Now, if a person continually rejects the word of God, the power of God's word will be seen in the judgment that comes on that person. But if you and I want the profitable effect of the power of God's word in our lives, it requires that we respond to his invitation. Okay. And so we keep that in mind. Now, notice verse number 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. A number of the commentators that I read in preparation for this evening said that one of the attitudes that the, they believe that Isaiah is addressing in verse number 8 and 9, is actually the Lord is addressing, is how easily human nature limits the power of God. That, that book's not really that powerful, is it? If, if I really obey implicitly and explicitly, am I really going to see God work like that? And Isaiah, on behalf of the Lord, the Lord says, now just remember this, your thoughts are not my thoughts. You're, what I can do, you cannot fully fathom. Your ways are not my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so that are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then notice the, verse, first number, the first word of verse number 10. For, as the rain cometh down. It's as if he's saying, giving an explanation for the invitation and then how we should properly esteem the power of God through his word. For, and he gives this illustration. He's giving a reason for why, get this, you and I should respond to the word of God gives the invitation, and he said, and just remember, what God can do is far more than we can fathom. Now, because of that, here's an illustration to show you how effective God's Word can be in your life. And here's the thought I want us to keep in mind. Now, remember, these uh, 8th century B.C. Jews that Isaiah is addressing on behalf of the Lord, that the Lord is addressing, uh, several of the things that are said here in this passage specifically relate to the Babylonian captivity and even to the future millennial kingdom, but there's tremendous application for us here tonight. I want you to notice verse number 10, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, we could drop down verse number 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. The illustration of rain and snow. And here's the point for us tonight. You and I should determine that we are going to embrace the effective power of God's word. That we're going to embrace. Remember Psalm 78, I believe it is, the thing that limits God, the one thing that limits omnipotence. Anybody remember what it is? Unbelief. Do you know you and I have, in a certain sense, the ability to limit God? And it's when we don't believe him. But when we believe him, look at the power that is unleashed in our lives through the word of God. 
And so we should desire, determine to embrace the effective power of God's Word. As I've thought about this passage of Scripture and the illustration of rain to the wonderful influence and power of the Word of God, I've also thought about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and I've written in the margin of my Bible that this is essentially an Old Testament parallel. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. If you know it, quote it with me. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good's works. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago as we were talking about that passage of Scripture. The Word of God being profitable for all things. Profitable for doctrine. That's what's right. Profitable for reproof. That's by telling us what's wrong. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. That's telling us how to get right. And not just correction, but instruction in righteousness. That's telling us how to stay right. And so the sufficiency of the Word of God, and this is in many ways a parallel to the powerful ability of the Word of God to thoroughly furnish us, to transform us. I want us to notice just briefly tonight several characteristics of the power of God's Word. Uh, I told Grace as I was preparing this, I said, I'm going to tease tonight. And she said, T-E-A-S-E. I said, no, T apostrophe S. I'm going to alliterate. And pardon me, it's the disease that we have. Uh, But I want you to notice, first of all, as we think about the effective power, the supernatural power of God. I thought about this uh, before we look at several characteristics tonight of the powerful word of God. And that is this. Do you understand that in your hand tonight you hold you hold one of the most powerful instruments in all the universe. Now, the power that it has is invested in it by our omnipotent, our sovereign God. One of the most powerful instruments. I was thinking about this. I wrote in the margin of my Bible here. This is the book that has the power to give new birth out of spiritual death. This is the book that has the power to give us access, get this, to eternity. And to give us access to communication with the divine. Through this book, we can communicate with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. This is the book that has the power not to feed a man's physical body, but to feed his soul, the unseen part of us. This is the book that can calm the storms of life. This is the book that can turn nations to God. It's been said that it was the preaching of George Whitfield and John Wesley that spared Great Britain from a revolution like France experienced. It was the preaching of God's Word from men like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and Theodore Freulinghausen that was like a spark on the dry tender of the dead coldness of the second generation of settlers here in the colonies that we now call the United States. The preaching of George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and Theodore Freulinghausen of the Word of God sparked the Great Awakening and brought about a spiritual revolution in our nation before there was ever a military revolution. I, I like to call it war for independence. But that's not the point tonight. But a book that has the power to turn nations. It's the book that has the power to give spiritual direction for life. 
This is the book that has the power, inherent power, to conquer spiritual foes as we face the temptation of our enemy, the devil. This is the book that has the power to satisfy the deepest longings that a man or a woman can ever experience. This is a book that has the power to stop evil. This is the book that has the power to help us see the future. What a book. And we could go on and double this list of the powerful characteristics of this book. But I want you to notice, first of all, the power of the book is it's a tender power. A tender power. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven... Someone said this that I read preparation for tonight, that rain, generally speaking. Now, the rain we had on Monday night was not silent and slow. <laughs> okay, But generally speaking, and by the way, a silent, gentle drizzle is far better for absorption in the soil. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, said that often the work of God is like a gentle drizzle. Drip, 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 drip. Just subtle slow, saturating over time. Not overwhelming, but it's how God works. It was the still, small voice that got the attention of a wayward prophet in a cave on Mount Horeb. Not the fire, not the wind, not the earthquake, the still, small voice. And the Spirit of God taking the Word of God. I'm reading a book uh, on uh, pastoring and preaching uh, just for personal help, and the author talked about the positive use of the word subversive in the ministry of the preaching of the Word of God. And he described what he called a subversive pastor. And I, you know, that kind of sounds negative, doesn't it? Uh, subversive, like undermining, you know? But his point was this, is how many of you have ever seen in action or been negatively impacted by a manipulative dictatorial pastor? Okay. And someone with a mean spirit. But the idea of just preaching the word of God and letting it do its gentle, transforming work where the spirit of God takes the word of God and just gently brings the saint along. Can I say this? To where they come to their own conclusions. And they're not manipulated. They're not forced. The Spirit of God woos them through the silent, simple, saturating work of the Word of God. Okay. That's the tender power of the Word. But don't think for a minute that tender doesn't also mean tremendous. Secondly, there's a tremendous power to the Word of God. Have you ever thought about this? I think I mentioned this two winters ago when I preached on the, the uh, treasures of the snow. Have you ever thought about how tremendously powerful rain is? And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, deluges or anything like that, but I'm just talking about how when the ground gets saturated, even by a slow, long-soaking rain... Rainy-soaked territory has literally stopped world power armies in their tracks. Think about the, the quiet power of snow to stop the armies of Napoleon and the armies of Hitler. The power of snow, the power of rain, the tremendous power that it has. We think about the power of snow. We think about the power of rain. But I want you to notice also that it has a touching power. 
we'll continue to read, as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, the idea is in the same form that which it fell. Obviously, rain through the cycle, the hydrological cycle, will evaporate. But in the same form, it doesn't return, if you would, back to the heavens. But it watereth the earth. And then notice this. The, the rain on the earth maketh it, the earth, bring forth. That's the idea of it germinates seed. And then the next step, it causes that seed that was germinated and becomes a tender plant, it causes it to bud, that is to flower out and pollinate. That is the preceding step to what we see next, that it may give what? Seed to the sower. Now notice, here's what I mean by the touching power. It was a single seed that was activated by the moisture of the earth from the rain or the snow, The seed was germinated, new life came forth, a bud and then seed. And through the multiplication of seed, a sower would take some of that seed and broadcast it. And the touch of that rain in germinating that seed would spread. Not only though would seed be given to the sower, but also what? Bread to the eater. Some of that grain would be taken and dried and crushed and pressed and become flour that would be turned into bread. And and here's the point as we think about the effective power of the Word of God. It has a touching power. Or we could say this to use Ronald Reagan's terminology. It has a trickle-down power. You've heard the term, at least those of us who remember Ronald Reagan was, trickle-down economics. Okay. Filtering down, and that's the idea here. When we think about the touch of rain, the touch of God's word as it produces seed and then some seed is is spread so that the process can go on. Other seed is dried and then becomes bread to satisfy the hunger. And on and on it goes through this multi-generational effect of the word of God. I think about some households and families represented in this church tonight you're not you're you're the result of preceding generations in a family that responded to the word of god and you're getting the benefit of that there are some first generation believers here tonight but god's given you the opportunity to to raise up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the lord and to have an impact in your grandchildren's lives and now get this the touch of the word of god that's illustrated with rain that sets in motion the spiritual process of seed and bread and more seed being spread it is a touch that will go on past your life it's the power of the word of god it's a touching power it's a tremendous power it's a tender power. And I've written this word here too. It's a a terminal power. As we move on through the passage, notice what the Lord says. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. That is like the rain that falls, soaks the earth, sets in motion this cycle of multi-generational production and impact. It shall not return unto me void. Let me just give this as a side note. And I'm watching the time here. We'll bring this to a conclusion in just a few minutes. But twice in this passage, the word return is used. Now, I want you to get this. This is really, when I was sharing this with Grace this afternoon, I almost unloaded the whole boat right there. Okay, This is exciting to me. The the scriptures say, the rain cometh down and returneth not thither. Now, obviously through evaporation it does, but not in its original form. You, You get the idea. 
God says, my words like rain, it is given and it does not return to me empty. In the physical world, rain falls. It nourishes the earth. Evaporation takes place. But the work of that rain produces fruit in the earth. Transformed fruit. The biological process of seed dying and then being germinated and growing and multiplying and being used for food and nourishment and so on. The point, one of the points I believe that God is making in this passage is I give my word in the form of preaching and in the form of people hearing it and responding to it. And his expectation is that it doesn't come back to him in the same form that he gave it. It comes back to him, get this, for his glory, the, the seed of his word, the rain of his word comes back to him in the fruit of transformed lives. It doesn't return void. It's given in one form and it comes back. And the fruit of it, when it comes back to God, it doesn't return empty. It doesn't return void. It comes back to him. In other words, every time you and I respond to the invitation and bring our life in submission to the reign of God's word on our lives, that slow, gentle influence, when we do that, get this, a supernatural fruit-producing transformation takes place. And notice what God thinks about it. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I... The word means it shall accomplish, it'll bring to completion that which I delight in. In other words, can I just be a little earthy? When you and I sit down and we listen to preaching, when you and I sit down in our daily life as a believer and we let the Word of God soak our souls over days and weeks and months and years, and that supernatural process of transformation takes place, it brings a smile to the God of heaven's face. It delights Him. Because that's why He gave the Word. He gave it. Yes, to reveal himself, but yes, also to transform us into the image of his son. And so I use the word terminal power here. Terminal is the end, if you would, the object of the completion. It shall accomplish that which I please, the last statement of verse number 11, and it shall prosper. Same word in Joshua 1.8. You meditate in the word of God and you'll make your way to prosper. And it's the same word here that is used in Joshua 1 and verse number 8. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The word prosper speaks unquestionably of a good end. I thought about the good news of the gospel. And often I'll think of Proverbs chapter 25 and verse number 25 as cold waters to a thirsty soul. So is good news from a far country. Let me tell you the best news we've ever gotten is this book that came from the heavenly country. And it's like cold waters to a thirsty soul. The ability that it has to meet so many, every need, its sufficiency. So it's got terminal power, but I want you to notice, and I'm going to just move quickly through verses 12 and 13. I notice as well, it's transformative power. And we've already touched on that. Notice verse number 12, the first word of the verse, for. It's giving 
giving, uh, if you would. It's basically God's apologetic. Listen, here's why you need to let the word of God like rain soak your soul. Because look at the fruit that it produces. Now, for these 8th century Jews, and actually looking forward to the Jews that would go into the Babylonian captivity, he's actually prophesying here to them of the, the release from the Babylonian captivity. God's saying, here's how reliable my word is. Yes, you're going to go into the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, but I'm telling you, you're going to come out. And when you do come out, you're going to come out how? With joy. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And boy, you study how God worked in the heart of the Persian king Cyrus when he found out that his name had been prophesied a century and a half almost before by Isaiah the prophet, even though he was not a follower of Jehovah himself, when it was, the message was given him, as history tells us, he said, let those Jews go and let's fund the journey. Okay. And, and these people, they didn't have to be delivered like they were delivered under the leadership of Moses. Instead, they were sent out peaceably. They were sent out financed by the coffers of Persia. Let me tell you something at a very practical application level in yours and mine. We have the assurance that when we, with a heart like prepared soil, bring ourselves in submission, we respond to the invitation and bring ourselves in submission to the gentle drizzle of the word of God and its transformative power, we are promised that we'll be able to go out with joy and be led forth with peace as we follow his will. It may not always be what we expect. <laughs> and it may be a little uncomfortable at times. But let me tell you something. Obeying the will of God and the leadership of God and the light that he gives us in his word will always lead to joy. Notice even the creation responding. Some believe that this is just metaphorical or figurative creation responding like this. There are others that I read, conservative commentators, who believe that this is referencing the millennial kingdom. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You ever seen a tree clap its hands? There are those that believe, and I'm talking these are perfectly sane, intelligent people who believe that in the millennial kingdom we're going to see stuff like that. I heard an old spiritual the other day, a, a, a Negro spiritual, American spiritual as they call them now. And uh, it said, the, 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 one of the verses said, ain't no tree going to clap my hands. Ain't no rock going to sing my praise. Referring to this passage of scripture as it relates to the trees clapping their hands. But the transformative powers, it relates to our emotions. The transformative powers, it relates to our eternity. Here, I believe God is speaking when he talks about the mountains and the hills breaking forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. He's talking about the rejoicing of creation when the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ is set up on this earth. And let me just tell you something. We're going to see things in the millennial kingdom that we cannot even fathom. Isaiah 35 says the desert is going to blossom as a rose. The wolf and the lamb are going to lie down together. A little baby will be able to play on the hole of a poisonous serpent. 
And on and on the list goes. And I've shared with you before, I remember in Bible college, years ago, hearing a preacher preach a message on the millennial kingdom. And I mean, I was just sitting on the edge of my seat. And this man was a wonderful expositor. I was sitting on the edge of my seat and I was just ready to get in the millennial kingdom right now. I mean, he just had us, can I say this, spiritually salivating for the millennial kingdom. And when he finished his message, this is the last sentence of his message. He said all this, and that's not even heaven yet. But the transformative power of the word of God as it relates to our emotions, it relates to our future, as it relates to our nature. Notice verse number 13. And I've got to wind this down. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. Remember, the word of God is the rain coming down, transforming. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. How many of you tonight here have an Adamic nature? (laughs) More than I like to admit. Any fallen humans here tonight? Or can I say it this way? Any thorns here tonight? Any briars here tonight? And you think thorn and you think briar, let your mind go back to Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 3. The curse. And yet notice this. Through the powerful effect of the rain of God's word, thorns, our old nature is transformed. And we've been given a new and a divine nature that the word of God activates and empowers, Peter said. And instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, the Hadassah tree, I believe it is. And notice this, a final characteristic of the power of the word of God is its triumphant power. Who gets the glory when the word of God in the hands of the spirit of God transforms the child of God into the image of the son of God? Who gets the glory when the word of God is preached and proclaimed and is activated in the life of a believing sinner and in a moment of time they are translated from the powers of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear son? No man gets the glory. It is to the Lord for a name. He's the one. It's His Word. He's the one that gave it. It shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign, a a token, a testimony that shall not be cut off. Triumphant power. Let me just say this. This isn't just the testimony of God winning. But the Bible says through the power of Christ, the power of the work of the gospel, the power of this book, we are more than conquerors. That's the power of this book. And so we have a choice to submit to its direction, to submit to its effective power, to respond to the invitation, to let God's way of thinking, His thoughts that are higher than ours, His ways that are higher than ours, let his ways and his thoughts determine what he does with his word. I'm going to read you a poem. 
After all, this is a Baptist preacher's message, and we're supposed to end our messages with poems, right, Brother Murray? The man's name that wrote it was William Steiger, I think back in the 1800s. And he said this after a rainstorm. Maybe you've heard this poem before. Grace said we're going to have Elena memorize it next year in school. I saw God wash the world last night when his, with his sweet showers on high. And then when morning came, I saw him hang it out to dry. He washed each tiny blade of grass and every trembling tree. He flung his showers against the hill and swept the billowing sea. The white rose is cleaner white. The red rose is more red. Since God washed every fragrant face and put them all to bed. There's not a bird, there's not a bee that wings along the way. But is a cleaner burden bee than it was yesterday. I saw God wash the world last night. Ah, would he had washed me as clean of all my dust and dirt as that old white birch tree. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. The transforming power of the word of God. Get this, for both a Pharisee named Paul and a fisherman named Peter. The transforming power of the Word of God for a boy who began as a pauper in 14th century Bohemia named John Huss. I read a brief biography of him last night. And the transformative power of the Word of God in John Huss's life. The power to transform a pauper named John Huss, or can I say a prince by the name of Bill Borden, the heir of the Borden dairy magnate family, who would give away everything, and though he would never make it to Asia where he intended to go, he would die preparing to serve Christ and preach the gospel in Cairo, Egypt. But it all could be traced back to the God of this book and the power that he has inherently put in it, the power of this blessed old book and the illustration of the blessings of rain. Father, I pray that we would bring ourselves under the gentle, daily, soaking showers of the Word of God. That we'd let it change us. Let it bring forth fruit. Let it take the the rain that falls in our lives and then transform it into fruit that is returned to Him for His glory and for the benefit of others. I pray these things in Christ's precious name.